So there are lots of things that we have to do, jump through a lot of hoops to get patients on both of these therapies. And sometimes no matter what type of advocacy we do, we still can't get this treatment approved. That was Callie Cook, a doctor of nursing practice who specializes in headache medicine and a member of the Alliance for Patient Access Headache and Migraine Disease Working Group. I'm Josie Cooper, and this is AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. We cover all manner of topics here on the Patient Access Podcast, but today I'm very interested to talk about a topic that we've never discussed before, combination therapy. Now, before I get into the nitty-gritty questions, Callie, would you take a moment to break down what combination therapy means for our listeners? Sure. Combination therapy is really simple. It's when we use two drugs or more than two drugs to treat a single disease. We see it a lot in hypertension. You'll use a beta blocker and a diuretic or even an asthma when you have a rescue inhaler and then a preventative inhaler that you use every day. So you work specifically with headache and migraine patients, right? So what would combination therapy look like for one of your patients? You know, why is combination therapy a, a, a preferred approach? That's a great question. I think most migraine patients are on some form of combination therapy. All migraine patients really need to be on an acute medicine that really helps to take care of their migraine attack. And a lot of migraine patients also need a preventative medication. Now, for some of those refractory migraine patients or patients who have chronic migraine, that preventative treatment can um, require multiple daily medications or monthly medications. Oftentimes, we'll use onabotulinum toxin for the treatment of chronic migraine. And say the patient's having 28 migraine days a month, and we reduce that to 12, they still have 12 days of disability. So that's when we add something else, and it's very useful to use an anti-CGRP monoclonal antibody because we know that onabotulinum toxin and these anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies kind of work together to create this synergistic effect for migraine prevention. That makes a lot of sense. So why can't your patients use combination therapy? Really, it comes down to the payers, the insurance companies. Both onabotulinum toxin and anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies are expensive, and they don't want to pay for folks being on two expensive drugs. They're safe. Plenty of people use them together, and they work effectively, but they're very expensive. So there are lots of things that we have to do, jump through a lot of hoops to get patients on both of these therapies. And sometimes, no matter what type of advocacy we do, we still can't get this treatment approved. Wow. So even though the medications are different, even though the medications you know, are, are um successful for a lot of patients, insurance still says no? Exactly. Wow. So we've also heard that there have been situations of insurers rejecting coverage for one medication, even if the patient receives a free sample of another. Can you speak to this? You're completely correct. Um, If the chart documentation shows that a patient has received free samples of any of the anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies, or if they receive free drug, and the insurance companies see that, they'll deny coverage for onabotulinum, and I should have said this earlier, but Botox therapy. Um, And that's really challenging because you have someone who had, you know, went from, like I mentioned earlier, 28 
migraine days per month to 12, then maybe to five to six. So you've really had this huge improvement in their quality of life. And you're having to say, well, guess what? Your insurance isn't going to cover that. So it's kind of like now you have to choose between the two. It's, it's really challenging. Sure. Well, and that must be really frustrating to you as a provider, as well as, as for your patients who are finally getting relief. Can you explain the impact to your patients? Sure. It is very frustrating. I feel like my job as a, as a nurse is to advocate for my patients. Number one, I, I definitely want to practice evidence-based medicine and also um, value-based care. I want to make sure that what my patients are receiving is valuable. And I think when I can't do that and when I see folks suffering so much and there's not much I can do for that, it's really, it's really devastating. And then it doesn't just impact the individual that I'm caring for. Um, It affects their family, their spouse, their employer. All of these things go into um, making up this individual who's suffering from migraines. So we really just can't look at this one single person as having disability. It's all of these other factors that really affect their ability to be active in their family and in their community. Sure, that makes sense. And and you just made a point that I want to go back to for a minute, and that is the impact of headache and migraine disease, not just on the person that's living with the condition, but the impact that the disease has on their family and on their friends. You Can you speak a little bit further to that sort of burden of disease and the impact that it has on, on workplaces and on families? Sure. So migraine is the most burdensome disease globally. And it's a leading cause of disability. So there are tons of dollars lost yearly in workforce revenue for folks unable to work because of this disease. So that's a huge effect on our economy. It also affects individuals' marriages. I was at a conference this past weekend, and there was a statistic that 76% of migraine sufferers feel like their marriage is negatively affected by their disease. And if we think about marriage and these type of very personal relationships, we also have to think about how migraine sufferers are able to take care of their children. It has to be very, very challenging to be the mom that says, you know, honey, I can't go to your t-ball game. I've got a migraine. I need to lay down. That has to have an enormous effect on the individual and the child. So it is, it's 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 a lot of people affected by a disease, not just one individual. Sure. So it sounds like it's it's very important to make sure that people living with headache and migraine disease can get access to their medications because when their condition is well managed, everybody benefits. Exactly. The morbidity of this disease is very serious and we want to make sure that migraine patients have access to these medications to reduce their suffering, to allow them to engage with their families and spouses more and to be a, a more productive workforce member. Absolutely. And one other question I want to ask you, Callie, is, you know, what is the impact when when you can't get patients the medications that they need? What is the impact on that to, you know, that that clinician patient relationship that's so important to the healthcare system? I think this is best summed up in a, a story that a patient told me. And, and she was started on one of these newer drugs, one of the anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies. And she had severe migraine-related disability for many years, and once she was able to get on reduced-cost uh, drug, 
she knew that it wasn't going to last a long time. So she planned her year of therapy on this anti-CGRP monoclonal antibody to where she traveled to Europe. She took a cruise. She did all of these things that she had been waiting so long to do but couldn't because of her migraines to kind of fill up this one year that she felt good and had relief. And when you hear stories like that every day, it's hard to not take that home with you and see how many patients are suffering from this disease and how medications do make things better, and yet many patients are unable to access those medications. Sure. Do you find that that has had an impact on your, you know, the trust between you and your patients? I think patients understand that we're trying to do the best we can as clinicians. I I think they understand that our job is to advocate for them. But I do think it creates a barrier when we're unable to get things that they need approved. Um, It it makes it very difficult. Um, And it does, I think, negatively affect that provider-patient relationship. Sure. Okay, Callie. Um, Well, thank you for your time. We like to finish up with a lightning round. So one sentence or 30 seconds for each of these. Um, So what is the coldest place you've ever traveled to? That would be Minnesota in the wintertime. Very, very cold. Oh, my gosh. And uh, name one thing you'd like to change about the healthcare system. This was hard. Uh, One thing is really challenging. So I, I broke it down to two things. Better access for patients and the ability for clinicians to do what they need to do to provide the best care to our patients. I love that. Now, what is your favorite way to relax? So I am a greyhound lover. I adore greyhounds. Um, So my favorite way to relax is with a greyhound on my lap and with my knitting in my lap. So sometimes that gets a little challenging if the the greyhound gets a little too interested in the yarn, but I love sitting on the couch, greyhound in the lap, working on my (laughs) knitting project. I love it. And we're in December now. So what is your favorite holiday tradition? So my family does celebrate Christmas, and on Christmas Eve, uh, my mom goes completely non-traditional, and she makes these huge pizzas that are kind of like the supreme pizza. They've got everything on them. So we sit around, and we eat pizza, and we play board games. Um, And we've done this since I was a kid, and I just love it. It's one of my best Christmas memories. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like a blast. Callie, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me.